Hello and welcome to Beneath the Staircase. We are your beguiling hosts, Kelly. Hey, and I'm Kelly too. (laughs) Two crazy ladies who love nothing more than to talk ghosts and everything paranormal. Join us, won't you? And now for the paranormal news. This week's paranormal news comes from the middle of the Canadian wilderness. Kel? <laughs> That's right, folks. A strange howl was recorded by a Canadian hunter, and it's spooky. So scary. A family out on a hunting trip in the forests of northwestern Ontario heard some unsettling cries coming from off in the distance. These sounds were unlike any vocalizations of any sort of animal they knew of. Outdoorsman and experienced hunter Gino Mikis grabbed mm-hmm. his phone and was able to record the echoing screams, which some are citing as further evidence of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. We will have the video up on our website for you to check out. Cool. 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 (laughs) So recently we put out a call for Twitter submissions of family ghost stories or stories of strange occurrences that our Twitter friends have experienced for themselves. So the first one I'm going to share with you today is about two men by the name of William Burke and William Hare. And this story came to my attention by a friend on Twitter by the name of Sue. And she is actually related to one of these men. And um, we'll find out why his name will go down in history. Ooh, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. So this is a story of William Hare and William Burke, who were two Irish men who immigrated to Scotland in the 1820s. Burke, who was friends with Hare, moved into Hare's lodging house in 1827. And in December of that year... An elderly tenant living in the house died, leaving behind a debt to Hare in the amount of four pounds in rent. And somehow it came into Hare's mind that with the help of his friend Burke, the two of them would take the body and sell it off to the medical school to get money he was owed. (laughs) And they sold the body to the medical school in Edinburgh, where the professor Robert Knox paid them seven pounds and ten shillings. And in this time, the study of anatomy became a popular subject uh, during the 19th century. But unfortunately for medical schools, it was difficult to get their hands on bodies. There was a new act that limited crimes punishable by death, which gave schools less bodies to work with. And it was there was also a law in place that said schools could only have one body a year. <laughs> <laughs> so <Aww>. knowing that, <laughs> what's that? I said, aww. Mm-hmm. Poor guys. So, <laughs> so these guys were like, hey, this is an easy way to make some money. So they devised a plan to provide the medical schools with bodies and in turn be paid a healthy sum. As the student not body student body numbers rose, surgeons and professors asked fewer questions about where bodies they used for dissection were coming from. And Burke and Hare decided to lure poor community members and to stay in their lodging house. No. And once they were nice and comfy, uh, the two would ply their victims with booze and then smother them. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this was their preferred method as it left little to no mark for the medical students to find. So it's said that the men were paid for 17 bodies in the amount of 7 to 10 pounds, while some reports state that the fee could have been as high as 30 And so suspicion started to rise as the students in the medical school began to recognize some of the bodies they were dissecting. Oh, God. (laughs) And a couple in the lodging house found one and reported the men to the police. 
Pierre was left off with immunity for giving information on the murders and turning in his friend Burke. And Burke was found guilty and hanged for his crimes in front of 25,000 people on January 28, 1829. And the story goes that his body was publicly dissected at the Edinburgh University. Oh, my God. (laughs) And today, if you were to visit the Surgeon's Hall Museum, you may see his death mask, skeleton, and a book bound in his skin on display. Bound in his skin? Yeah, sick. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that Sue's actually related to him. So that's She's related somewhere. to the one that... She's related to William, the, the man who eventually was hanged. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Hi, Sue. Hi. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. <laughs> we love you. Don't hurt us. <laughs> um, wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, mine's not as <laughs> intense, but... <laughs> Um, we're calling this one the Ethiopian exorcism, Ooh. and it was um, it was submitted by James B. And he writes, "This is all in his words." Um, <clears throat> here it is. This is a story of an exorcism. I'm from the UK, but around 15 years ago, I was volunteering as a tutor in an Ethiopian or- orphanage. Some of the orphans there had lost just one parent and the other parent had simply been too impoverished to care for them. One day, one of the older boy's father arrived out of town. He intended to collect his boy, but he couldn't afford anywhere to stay. He had to sleep in the orphanage dorm with the boys. Now, the orphanage didn't want to let any children return to their families or be adopted because they were a source of income. Mm. Sponsorships... Sponsorship agencies sent money to support the children, and the money was mostly misappropriated by management while the children lived in very austere conditions. Ugh, makes me sick. The orphanage refused to give the visiting father back his son. The first I heard about it was when I was invited to a prayer meeting for a sick man. Though I'm not religious, I went so as not to offend. There, I found the boy's father confined to a bed, and I was told he had a demon that needed to be exercised. I had to watch as they shouted and prayed over this poor father while he was restrained in bed for over an hour. He was terrified and I thought possibly also mentally ill. I found out later that this was done to discredit this man and prevent him from retrieving his son. He never got him back. The son grew up in the orphanage. I don't know what happened to the father. He vanished, and I never heard of him again. The orphanage has since been closed down, and the buildings where it happened are now abandoned. It's more of a crime than a ghost story, but hey, it's still an exorcism. It's still scary. It's still scary. So I looked it up. Um, I was I was interested in in if this happens a lot down there. Yeah. So um, I decided to do a little research, and it turns out that mass exorcisms are pretty commonplace in Ethiopia. Okay. In fact, according to a 2010 Pew Research Center study, 74% of Christians in Ethiopia claim to have experienced or witnessed an exorcism. Wow. That's a big chunk of people. It's also not unheard of for priests to make a profit. One such priest by the name of, I might butcher this, it's um, mm-hmm. Mimir, was rejected by all other churches because he earned more money than the church itself and has since started his own. I found some interesting articles that I'll be adding to the website for those who'd like to continue their investigation. And um, I also have some footage, too, of it. It's pretty intense. 
Um, and very scary and a very sad story. But thank you, James, for sending that in. Wow. So the next story that I have was submitted to us again through Twitter by two sisters by the name of Laura and Michelle, and this is told in their own words. St. Louis, Saskatchewan is a farming town of less than 500 people. Situated on the flat plains of the prairies, the joke goes, if your dog runs away, you can watch him for days. <laughs> Covered in wheat fields and occasional pine trees, to say this feels like an isolated place is an understatement. At night, the only sounds to keep you company are the howls of coyotes. The darkness consumes the horizon and all that's left are shadows and silence. It's in one of these fields that if you wait until dusk, you might just see one of the most famous ghosts in Canada. So again, a Canadian story. (laughs) Yay! So before this was farmland, a railroad cut through the fields with a small station near what is now a gravel road. Although the tracks are gone and now overgrown, the train that belonged to them still waits in the distance. At night, once the sun goes down and the night is black, the train moves once more down its route towards you. The disembodied light is white, large, and perfectly round. It rushes down the old tracks, growing nearer and nearer to you, then retreating back into the dark. If you're lucky, the train might just come back again and again, Once it starts, the train can run all night. Many people have studied this phenomenon from our family, and that's Laura Michelle, to NASA. A couple of logical explanations exist, but they're flawed. Firstly, the most common theory is that far behind the tracks is a highway. It's believed that the light is a refraction of the headlights and taillights on the distant road. The trouble is that this particular highway did not exist at the time of the first reported sightings, which was in the 1920s. In fact, at this point in Canada, cars are far from common in Saskatchewan. The second theory comes from NASA during their investigation. And side note, that's pretty cool that NASA looked into this. (laughs) It was decided that the light comes from nothing but swamp gas. Sounds great, but not even NASA could discover the source. Hmm. Instead, we're left with legends. And here's an excerpt from an article by Katie McRae from the Humboldt Journal. Some say the origins involve the tragic demise of an engineer conductor. One story goes that a worker was doing a routine check of the tracks when the train, not able to stop in time, struck and decapitated him. Locals for years have been saying that the light is a sign that the man is still searching for his head. (laughs) (laughs) Another tale goes that the railway worker would would wave a lantern at nighttime, signaling to the trains when they needed to switch tracks. Like the other story, the train wasn't able to stop and ran over the worker. Some speculate the light is the man's lantern as he walks up and down the railway bed, warning others of the disaster. Poor guy. The legend that is true to our family is the conductor's daughter was killed by the train after stumbling onto the tracks, waiting for her father to come home. The ghost light is the distraught conductor searching for his daughter. My sister and I have been obsessed with the St. Louis ghost light since we were kids. The family farm is just 15 minutes away, and we have had decades of entertainment at the Phantom Light. All of the cousins would jump in the back of Grandpa's pickup with snacks, blankets, and flashlights, ready for a fall evening and laughter and chills to share in the local phenomenon. Climbing down the old embankment, always a little too scared to actually get in the path of the light as it comes barreling down the now-removed tracks. Our uncle once walked down the tracks through the light. He never saw it. Everyone was watching, shouting, and cheering as he fully passed through the light and the red tail light continued beyond him. 
Another time, some brave souls parked their truck on the track and couldn't get it to start again once the train had passed through it. Our most recent adventure had us visiting last fall, and in the middle of the full moon trying to find the tracks in the dark, we took a wrong turn and ended up on what we thought were the tracks. The night was completely still, the moon entirely bright. We figured we were in the wrong spot and kept walking through the trees until we stumbled down the bank onto what was obviously the old track. The feeling in that moment, calm, crisp, and otherworldly, is the only way we can describe waiting for the light to come. If the train visits you that night, or if you're left in chilling anticipation, the presence is always there. There is a transformation each night in a farmer's field in Saskatchewan that will leave you curious and definitely wanting more. That was really good. So thank you, Laura and Michelle, for that one. Awesome. Our last submission comes from Life of the Search Party, and he recommended we look into the mysterious life of Dorothea Puente. Okay. Dorothea Puente, also known as the Death House Landlady, who was a convicted serial killer who preyed on the tenants of her boarding house in Sacramento, uh, California, in the 1980s. Between 1982 and 1988, she killed nine people, all of whom were living under her roof, and she collected their social security and pension benefits. Prior to her descent into murder, Puente ran a brothel, forged checks, and worked as a nurse's aide. Her first known victim was her friend and partner in rental business named Ruth Monroe. Monroe moved into an upstairs apartment that Puente was renting out in 1982. In April of that year, Monroe was found dead in her bed, in her bed from a lethal dose of codeine and Tylenol. Although her death was ruled a suicide after Puente told the police Monroe was depressed, Puente inherited $6,000 from Monroe's estate. Everson Gilmuth, one of Dorothea Puente's elderly suitors, actual cause of death is still unknown as his body sat in a wooden box on a riverbank from 1983 to 1986 until he was finally found by a fisherman. All the while, Puente cashed in on his pension checks and sent his family members letters supposedly written by him. It would seem that her tenants were worth more to her dead, and those who complained the most were killed and then buried in her yard. Oh, how big was her yard? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) For several years, her neighbors complained about the odd smell coming from Puente's yard. They claimed that it smelled of sweetness and rot. People in the area had to keep their windows tightly closed. No one suspected that the sweet old lady was actually burying bodies there. When the police finally arrived to investigate the the disappearance of one of her boarders named Bert Montoya, one of Puente's boarders covertly handed them a note stating what was actually going on in the house. It took law enforcement four days to return with a proper search warrant, and then they began digging. They found seven bodies in all, mm-hmm. one of which was Montoya's. Although there are nine deaths attributed, attributed to Puente, numerous other people came forward to claim that their loved ones went missing while in her care. The amount of people killed by her might be as high as 25. 
Wow. Four years after her 1988 arrest on charges of murder, Dorothea Puente's year-long trial finally began. 130 witnesses testified (laughs) against her and explained the nature of her crimes to a jury. Prosecutor John O'Mara claimed that Puente would drug her boarders with sleeping pills and then suffocate them with pillows while they were knocked out, which sounds very similar to our first story. Yeah, it does. Puente was found guilty on only three of the murder charges, receiving two life sentences without parole. Only three? Yes. Isn't that, uh, doesn't that frustrate you? That is frustrating. On March 27th, 2011, Dorothea Puente died in a central California prison. She was 82 years old and had spent the last 18 years in the facility. According to officials, she died of natural causes and proclaimed her innocence up until her last breath, insisting that all of the people buried in her yard had died of natural causes. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I so. Know, I want to know how she dragged them out, dug a hole. Like, right? how old was she when this happened? So <laughs> if she was 82 and she had spent 18 years in there, I don't know. Do the math. She was in her 60s, right? So Math. <laughs> yeah. I can't do the I, math. <laughs> well, I can't drag people. Somebody do it for hole. me. <laughs> um, but yeah. Ripped. Yeah. Wow. She three, Only three. I know, and possibly up to 25 people. Wow, I'm going to look into this too. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really crazy. So I'll have more info on the website for you guys. And once you see her, you'll be like, what? She looks so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I need to see this lady's picture. <laughs> so thank you very much for um, uh, sending that in, Life of the Search Party. Okay, so for the tweet this week, um, actually, Laura brought my attention to it. So the person who told the St. Louis story um, is by at Grady Hendricks. And this is a thread that I showed you, Kelly, mm-hmm. um, earlier. And I think it's one of the most freakiest <laughs> ones that I've read. Okay. So it's a, um, it's, he tells a story that happened to him when he was nine years old. And at that age, he figured out he had figured out that if he wants, he, if he waited for everyone to go to sleep at night, he could sneak downstairs and eat food or leftovers out of the fridge. Mm-hmm. And so the thread starts off and, um, I'll read you just one of the tweets and you can read the rest of it. But so he waits for everybody to go to bed and it, he says, it took forever. I finally stepped into the totally dark den and let my guard down. All of a sudden I heard a fork click on the counter. I froze. The microwave clock light showed the outline of a man sitting at our kitchen counter. So he's alone. The ha- well, he's alone. The only one awake, he thinks, and he goes into his kitchen and sees someone there. And you have to read oh, this thread. Oh, it gets because, so scary. Yeah. I've showed it to a couple of people now. And it, yeah, you just have to read it. And we'll, we'll put it up there for you guys to read yourself. But And I don't think anybody would even guess. Because, like, when I was reading it, I was like, well, what is going on? Where is this going? What's going on? Like, I don't know. And the ending will shock you. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I am shook, as they say. Shook. I am shook. (laughs) I am shook. (laughs) Hey, guys, if you have any questions or comments about this episode or any episode you've heard, please go to anchor.fm slash beneath the staircase and leave us a voice message. You may be featured on one of our future episodes.
Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we have. Please join us next week when we discuss more spooky tales of the paranormal. We'll see you beneath the staircase. <laughs>